Hey now, welcome to the City Off Campus podcast with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack McFarland. Our guest today is former Iowa Hawkeye and current Minnesota Vikings quarterback, Nate Stanley. What was the strangest or most memorable question you got asked by a team in interviews or at the combine or in that process? Yeah, um, so they had they really had two different like interview processes. Um, one one they called informal interviews and one they called formal interviews. So I had an informal interview, which is you're just sitting in like a big conference hall. Um, you kind of just go around table to table and you get 15 minutes with with the team. And I was I was meeting with the um, the Raiders, the OC for the Raiders, and he they. Um, so what they would do is they'd like, they'd install like some formations and then some protections and like one or two route concepts to you. And then, then they go in and ask you all these questions. Like they'd ask you some weird questions. Like, um, so do you smoke, do you smoke weed? It'd be like, 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 no, yeah, I, I take bong rips all the time. Coach. Yeah, like, I mean, like, seriously, no. that's why I'm here. Yeah. It's like, no, no, I don't smoke. Um, they'd ask you like, if your parents are still together, they'd ask you like pretty much questions to see like, if you're, if you're dysfunctional or not, like. Like how, yeah, I mean, it was really weird. Um, and then, then after they were done asking all those questions, they'd come back and, and be like, okay, so um, draw like this formation for me. And they had just installed it like 10 minutes earlier. So you had no time to study it. They went right into asking you like these really personal, weird questions. And then they'd be like, all right, teach it back to me. And I was doing really well. And then he goes, all right, give me this. I'm going to read you this play play call and you got to say it back to me. Like I'm in the huddle and he, he reads, he reads me off this play call and it means absolutely nothing to me. Anytime on third and one, like a QB sneak was called, you would without a doubt get four yards. Now, did you always know that you were going to get four to five yards on a QB sneak? Like, did you know that you were going to get like most people see a sneak and they just hope to get one or two our offensive line is capable of getting four and five. Like what, what's that like as a quarterback? Do you just kind of keep going and then you fall down eventually? Uh, yeah. I mean, you just keep those legs turning and, and um, you know, thankfully I had some, some great guys up front. Um, you know, Tyler Linderbaum did a great job last year. Um, you know, he, he drove some nose guards off the ball on, on those. Um, we also did a lot of different things too, where we would, we'd be in an empty formation and, and uh you know, I'd come up to the line of scrimmage like I was faking a check or something and just get under center and snap it. So, like I said, with the with the game planning and, and how Coach Brian thought, um, you know, he thought of some creative ways to do different things. And, you know, that really helped us in the long run because we would sneak in situations where defenses wouldn't think we were going to. Um, like third and two, third and three, um, being a spread out formation and, and get under center real quick and just snap it and go. Um, so I think we were playing Nebraska in, in 2019. There was, there was one time where we actually had a D lineman stand up um, because he thought I was up there to change a play or to check a play. And, um, you know, he got caught off guard big time. Um, but I think it ultimately just comes down to the offensive line. I think they took a lot of pride in that, especially because um, early in the year, we had some that were like four or five yard gains. And they're like, man, how, like, how good can we be at this and how, how often and how well can we do it, especially when they know we're going to do it in certain, certain situations. So um, yeah, our offensive line took a lot of pride in that and, and did a great job all year with that. So it's safe to say that Iowa is QB sneak you. 
I, I would say so. I'd yeah. say so for sure. Um, what was that like going to Ames? Oh my god! Kind of environment was, was that like, like? I mean, you. I don't know if anybody can really put it into words um, beforehand, but when you are in the bus almost to Jack Trice Stadium and you see little kids like running alongside the bus, like giving you the finger, like that's like, man, this is this is real. Like this rivalry, there's no love lost between these two teams. Um, and I mean, and then to go in there and win, um, you know, is an even better feeling. So, um, you know, it, it's a, it's a really cool environment, really cool stadium to go play in. And, and, um, you know, obviously I can say that because we, when I started, we won both games there. So, um, you know, I have some really good memories from those games going back to the Outback Bowl. Um, we had a play where we, we motioned TJ back into the backfield and we were going to try to, you know, have him fake lead on a linebacker and run up the middle. Um, you know, if they gave us like split safety coverage and on the outside, we had, um, just what we call the smack concept. So like it was a, a stop route with a corner route behind it. And like two days before the game, I was like, Hey, I, I don't really like that. What do you think if we changed it to, to this concept? And, um, in case we did get single high man coverage or, or cover three, we had to go out and and play that concept instead. And he's like, Oh yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. And then lo and behold, they gave us single high. Um, they busted on the coverage and Nick easily takes it 75 yards for a touchdown. So, um, you know, I think there was just a really good relationship, really give, really good give and take between us, um, you know, and, and really good, you know, relationship between us. He knew what I was thinking. I knew what he was thinking. And then, um, you know, he trusted me to just go out there and play. Um, you know, our, our offense wasn't limited, um, you know, in the, in the game plan sense. Uh, you know, we, we had, you know, empty, we had power, we had, you know, everything that you could think of. Um, you know, and, and nothing was limited or off the table when it when it came to game planning. Today, we have a guest that we're very excited about to have on the podcast. We have a former Hawkeye, but also a Chicago Bears great and 1985 Bears Super Bowl champion, Jay Hilgenberg. Super Bowl is the easiest game I ever played in. We kept running this play the first half, Matt Suey, our fullback. It's called the 31 Influence. And it's here, you get the nose guard right on my head. And all he's doing is reading me. He's he, where I go, he goes. And so it, this, this play was just a, the McMahon just gets the ball, turns right around, hands it to Suey, and he just reads me. And they wanted me to block it like a pass where I drop back. And, and I go, oh, no, no, there's no way I'm going to block it that way because people on TV may think I'm, this guy's bull rushing me or, like, you know, kicking my, you know, butt or something like that. And so I, um, so I, I, I block it. I snap the ball and I, I, you know, I just make a quick movement there. I get, you know, rustling hands inside. He takes that step and whew, you just launched him. I mean, we killed him on it. That, that was pure rustling. And, and it got so much where I could control him. I was telling Bortz, uh, Iowa, Mark Bortz, left guard. I go, Hey, you better take a wide split for me because this guy that I'm blocking is going to knock you off before you get to, he's going to go flying into you before you can get the linebacker. I, I didn't know anything about it until the one game we lost that year was against the Miami Dolphins on a Monday night, and we're flying back to Chicago, and Willie Galt comes up to me and goes, hey, you know, there's a bunch of us guys going down to the Park West uh, doing this uh, video uh, thing about the Super Bowl. And, and I look at, and he goes, he goes, we'd like to have you be in it. Of course, I wasn't going to be like one of the, say, I was going to be a background guy, and I, and I go, 
I go, Willie, I go, we just got our ass kicked on national TV. I go, I, I'm not going to go there and sing about uh, any any Super Bowl. So I, I just kind of blew it off. So I remember my rookie year one time that uh, I thought I was, it was like early. Was the season had just started, and I thought I was going to get cut because I was out. The, the punters, the pun, the snapper, the long snappers and punters and punt return turners go out would go out early first for practice and they had this short field on the, the very east side of Hell's Hall, right next to the facility in this little octagon room shape. And, and, and that's some, that's where the meet, the coaches would meet, but that's where I, I beat their snap and, you know, punts to the punter. And Jeff Fisher was the, was the guy catching the punts. He went on to be the coach and everything. Mm-hmm. And um, he kept, he kept throwing the ball when I was like, um, snap in the next way throw it and try to hit me in the head and so he got down close one time so I, I started chasing around and I tried to like you know wing <laughs> one like right in the back of his leg as hard as I could and I turn around and I look in the window and there's George Hallis looking and I literally like kind of turned sideways so he wouldn't see my number I think oh man this like this that could be like screwing around out here but you know I survived I guess you know the, the equipment man the equipment guy for the for the bears when I was there came from the Vikings and he was good buddies with my uncle. So here I'm a free agent, you know, coming to college and he lockers me right next to Walter Payton. So I, I was his locker mate for six years. So Walter and I, we, we, we were tight. He was, he was just a great, great fun guy. He kept, he kept everything just, it was, it was, it, there was an expectation, a level of, uh, professional he was he was a, he was an amazing guy it's just really it's too bad he's not around it really is because he was played every play hard never really he didn't talk a whole lot you know didn't say a whole lot but um but you knew um i mean during the game he didn't say a lot but off the field he was always really talkative and a lot of fun to be around obviously there's oh. no one that really compares to walter payton but someone that we could see or just kind of try and correlate how great he actually was whether it's how they run maybe the accolades they had, just anything. So we can yeah. try and like understand how great he actually was. You, you know what? Walter believed in like hitting people. He was a running back, but he'd hit you. Uh, he had these just huge forearms and massive hands. It was one of his big moves. He was just like form. He used to form guys. And um, I remember talking him talking to the team a couple times about you know running back coach they just because you have a football doesn't mean you can't go hit the guy and that he that's what he believed in and um it's almost like um like david montgomery right now for the bears how strong of a runner he is but david montgomery i think he he kind of searches out contact more than walter would um yeah the the thing about the, the easy thing about walter was um um if he was easy to block for because if a play was called to like to the six or seven hole or whatever hole it was, he was coming there. Today we're with Iowa basketball player, Patrick McCaff from your experience being around a team where, you know, there are guys who have been at Iowa, you know, playing ball for three, four years. How do you think that's important to a culture in the era where one and done has been such a big thing? I think it's really important because like, unless, so unless you're like Duke, Kentucky, UCLA, Arizona, like those schools who like, well, not even really Arizona that much in a sense, but like Duke, Kentucky, like 
Yeah, the who, blue blood. Who else? Uh, who else? Kansas, Kansas, Kansas and yeah. North Carolina. Which yeah, North State, yeah, you know, exactly. all those blue bloods. Yeah. Like they they're able to revamp on those one and dones because they'll get five or six in a class. So like that's fine if you want. But like I feel like it's the teams with like like the teams that aren't like those schools who get one like who get like one one and done. And then have to build everything around him just for him to leave. Like I feel like that's not always the most productive because you you sell out on trying to get that kid, and he's gonna be there for seven months. And like, like the Oklahoma State. I was about to say Cade like, Cunningham. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, like Oklahoma State, it works for them. Yeah. Like they're having a pretty good year because they brought in like they have like a huge, a massive freshman class, and like they and Cade, you can plug Cade in anywhere, yeah. and he's really good. But like, there's like guys who shoot a lot or whatever, who always probably aren't the most fun to play with. But like, you can't like, I feel like it's hard to promise somebody like shots in minutes, like especially before they like even get on campus. And I think that's something my dad like does a good job of. Like, he's not gonna promise anybody anything in recruiting. Yeah. But like, like those other coaches will promise everybody a certain amount of minutes, a certain amount of shots. What's Weezy been eating for lunch these days? Because he's been on an absolute fucking tear lately. That that's a phenomenal question. I might have to ask him. That dude works, man. He works, and I think that it's all kind of starting to come come together for him. Like, like, like Weezy's one of the harder workers I've ever seen. So it's just like I feel like it's just kind of like he's kind of reaping the benefits of that. Because he's got, I mean, in every there was some stat that Iowa Hoops posted on the Twitter, and it was it had something to do with rebounds, assists, steals, three pointers, points. Like he does everything, and he's doing mm-hmm. everything right now at a such a high level. And you saw it in that Michigan State game; he was mm-hmm. buzzing the entire yeah. game. He defends too. He can really yeah. defend. It's obvious. Like it's obvious if you watch him, it's like, oh well, he just made five threes. He's a really good shooter. Like yeah, no shit. But like he's getting a lot of steals. Like he's really active on defense block shots he really he really rebounds like i think that's one of the more underrated parts of his game and what people don't see that will translate to the next level like when he when he's going to make that transition which which is like he's absolutely fully capable of he really rebounds and i think that's what not a lot of people see or understand has anyone talked to gus johnson like he's on an uber comfortable level yeah well so we actually so before the indiana game he was he was on that one too and we he was in Los Angeles. So like, we didn't get to meet him or anything like that. Maybe my dad talked to him over zoom or something. Cause that's what they've been kind of doing with the TV people this year, but he was actually at the Michigan state game. So like he came to practice the day before because we practiced because the game was early. So we didn't have a shoot around. So we, we went and we were early in practice. So he was there. And so we all like, well, like, so I went, I talked to him with like Luca and Wheezy and then like, um Connor talked to him Jack talked to him my roommate talked to him Joti and so like a bunch of us talked to him at different times so like and he's so like he's so cool dude like he's so cool and like he's really easy to talk to and he's really engaging and he's asking us questions and like the way he talks like it's easy to be like comfortable with him so like after the first Indiana game like I guess he was calling me like Patty Mac on the broadcast and a bunch of people were talking about it and then he comes up. So the first thing he says to me as I'm like walking over, he's like, yo, like Patty Mac. Like, he's like, you like that? You like Patty Mac? And I'm like, yeah, like that's sick. Gus, like, yeah, keep like keep doing that. He's like, yeah, Patty Mac. All right, I got you. So it's like stuff like that. And like, he was so cool. The Saturday of the final four and like we, 
played against we weren't on the court this day but we played against like um like a team from africa a team from australia a team from asia like there was a bunch of different teams there like the nba academies and then we went the next day and we have we played against each other on the the final four course so that was pretty that was pretty sweet what what's it like those those global nba academy teams what are they like i'm just curious like what what's the skill level like with them well it really depends like on the country like because like australia i would say is relatively similar i think we're better like well i mean we we won every game by a by a lot so like i think that we're better but like i think australia is comparable like in terms of like facilities and like they have similar resources to what we would have but like when we play like team africa like they just don't like i remember their coach was telling because my dad was somehow friends with their coach they played in college together or something or he knew him somehow it was a really weird connection. My dad hadn't seen him in years, and then all of a sudden he's coaching against us. And so my dad talked to him. They practice like on soccer fields and shit. Like, so they just don't have the resources to keep up. So like they have the athletes, obviously. Like those kids are phenomenal fucking athletes. They can do stuff that nobody can, but like they just don't necessarily have the same skill just due to like lack of resources. It's out of their control. Cause at the end of the day, dude, like like, yeah, we're trying to win, but like it's a game and we're a team. Like, like we like we want to be having fun with this, bro. Like Cause I, I remember I used to really struggle with like performance anxiety and like stuff like that, like before the season, like, and I remember my dad, like my dad just kind of sat me down cause he knew that I was like struggling with this or whatever. And he's like, like, dude, like it's supposed to be fun. Like, you're supposed to have fun playing the game. And I think that was something that I had lost sight of almost for a little bit of a point there, because like, I was just so focused on trying to produce and trying to prove everybody wrong and trying to do what I can, but it's like, supposed to have fun with it bro and so like i think that's something that we've able to been kind of keeping our sights because it's like at the end of the day man like it's a game like we're this is the best time of our lives so it's like we gotta we gotta make the most of it and we gotta have fun with it obviously we're gonna win we're competitive as hell every single one of us and we're gonna try to do our best and we're gonna make sure we prepare ourselves in a way to where we can like do what we are, we are capable of doing but it's also something that it's like like we're in college and we need like we also need to kind of keep it lighthearted at times too and, and have fun with it man Today, we've got ESPN senior writer Seth Wickersham on the podcast. Is there ever a concern on your end, or is it just, this is my job, I am, this is what I'm supposed to do? Um, I mean, I've gotten death threats. You know, I remember when um, I did a story on the Cleveland Browns in January of 2019, and, you know, it was about the ownership of the Browns and how they kept cycling through regimes, and, um you know, ESPN's in a lot of businesses. It's a big company and they're in the business of journalism and they're also in the business of, you know, broadcasting games and doing all these other things. And, um, you know, the, the Jimmy and D Haslam were angry about the story that I did. And they had a, at the time they had a sponsorship. One of their companies had a sponsorship with uh, the SEC network and they pulled the sponsorship as a result of that story. And I didn't know that they had a sponsorship, you know? Um, I doubt it would have affected anything if I had known it, but I had no idea. And, you know, so that was an example of like a repercussion and, um, you know, you kind of feel like you're like, uh, sorry about that. (laughs) But, you know, fortunately my bosses at ESPN, you know, they were, they fully had my back in that situation. And, um, you know, that was, that was really cool. I did a story on the Seattle Seahawks in May of 2017 
about Richard Sherman and Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and about, you know, how they were all kind of struggling to recover from that, that horrible play at the goal line where Malcolm Butler intercepted Russell Wilson in the Super Bowl. And, um, you know, Richard Sherman had been dangled for a trade. And, you know, that was really fascinating to me where I was like, you know, first of all, I go back to the game. I was there. Um, my seat, you, you know, was, was in that end zone. And so I, I saw, I had a great view of the play. And, you know, when Russell Wilson's throwing the ball, you're like, this is a touchdown, game over. And then, you know, this number 21 comes flying up and, you know, I saw the back of his jersey and I didn't see that he intercepted the pass because I was behind him. And so um, it was only until you saw like the, the, the crowd go crazy and the Patriots bench go crazy, you realize that he intercepted the pass. And it's one of those things you kind of put away. You're like, OK, at the moment I wrote about Tom Brady, I went to his like postgame Super Bowl party and wrote about what that was like. But like, you know, you're filing that away. You're like how are they going to recover from that? I mean, how is that going to, that's the type of moment that haunts you. I think that like, you just want to distinguish yourself. I mean, all of the editors around the country who run newspapers and websites and, you know, they get a gazillion letters from college students saying, you know, to whom it may concern, it would be a honor to be able to work at X publication. Um, you know, you really just want to make sure that your work stands out you're writing creative stories, you're, you know, trying to report things that are hard to report, you know, you're, you're showing some degree of ambition in college. And then when you write your, your one page cover letter or email, you know, you have 300 words to make it interesting. And I would really focus on, you know, making sure that those 300 words read differently than the 300 words that these other you know, of the hundreds of other letters that these sports editors will get. You just, you have to find ways to distinguish yourself. Um, and, you know, I think that, you know, the cover letter is important because if you can show that you can write, then, you know, you've got someone with hiring authority, you know, intrigued. And then hopefully your resume and your work that you did in college and whatever internships you have, you know, it, it, it helps it. Today, we have Iowa Hawkeyes track and field athlete, Jamal Britt, on the podcast. My junior college journey, I was able to win also the 110s, the 400 hurdles, and long jump my sophomore year. And how I got in contact with Iowa was when they went to regionals, which was like their, you know, the meet before national championships. And they were in Sacramento, which was like, four or five hours away from me and he got in contact with me and, you know I was like he was interested and you know I mean how I was doing it was scheduled to visit and I was like okay because I had offers but I would have schools let me change that not offers I had schools interested in me but they weren't how would I say not as serious besides like you know Iowa and Minnesota that was like the schools that kept in contact with me and you know was planning to visit and once I got on a visit with, I've gone down to Iowa, I was, I was, I would say I was like very happy just with how the coaching is the, you know, also the facilities and the indoor track. But I think mainly was just the group in general, because throughout my whole life of high school and junior college, I was 
basically, you know, running, you know, training by myself and coming in Iowa, I was on paper, I was the slowest. I mean, I am a tall guy and, you know, lanky. So seven step is, you know, the natural, you know, what feels best for me. You know, even there's been like people in high school, one of my friends from high school, he was a eight stepper originally, but once he got like faster, uh, you know, he starts the seven step. He he switches sometimes. I talk to him now and then, but um, he's a he's trying to stay a seven step because he likes that the most versus you know eight stepping. Is it something hurdlers walk around and say like I'm a seven stepper, and then if someone says they're an eight stepper, you just kind of look at them. And you're like, I don't talk to you. <laughs> no, I mean I, maybe in high school and stuff like that because <laughs> you know oh, I'm a seven stepper. Like you seven step? Like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, at like college level and stuff like it's like okay, you're eight or seven stepper, so it's like nothing. But high school, I would say yeah, how that's how it was. Where did it ever start? Like, did you guys just like come together and you guys just like were kick, kicking ass and you're like, hey, we're, we're hurdle you. You just kind of like let it happen, or was yeah. that like a goal? It was a it for sure was a goal. You know, obviously, um, us and LSU is probably like the rivals of like just hurdles in general you know and both the 110s and you know 400 so obviously uh indoor season there was two and you know and lsu in the final and me so obviously you know they were uh you know considered as hurdle you but on paper you know i was still no more because we had multiple people but yeah obviously uh for sure when uh this outdoor season you know me and uh, Jalen were the only, you know, two Iowans, you know, to be in that heat. You know, LSU had one guy, potentially was supposed to have a guy, but he didn't, you know, make it. But, yeah, and even the thing really, like, uh, stated us as hurdle you, regardless if, you know, even next year it could be just me, regardless of that, that out of all the guys, you know, me and Jay went two and four, you know. Like, uh, as in the top of my head right now, I don't think, you know, anybody uh, anybody else has, you know, went, you know, at least, you know, three and four or, you know, one and two or one and three. So today we're with NFL sports agent and vice president of Near Star Football, as well as the co-host of Breaking Into Sports podcast. We're with Sammy Spina today. They just so happened to share an office space with Neostar and the guy who started our company named Ralph Stringer. And, uh, if you know anything about Ralph, I mean, Ralph's a pioneer in the sports entertainment industry. I mean, he's been with Dan Marino for Danny's entire career and has done some of the most memorable things you'll ever see and still does to this day, right? And uh, I remember uh, I talked to Seth about it and I was like, man, it sounds really cool. Like, I think this is what I want to do now. Like, this is, this is my path. I was like, dude, ask Ralph. And I remember I asked Ralph for a job and he told me no. So I was like, okay. I go back a couple weeks later, I ask him again. Tells me no again. Uh, he had another individual working at that time that was getting ready to leave. They told me. So I drafted this whole letter. Seth helped me write it about how I was going to work for free and X, Y, and Z and the value I can bring. I asked Ralph a third time. He goes, come talk to me tomorrow. And I go in and he's like, hey, man, you know, I just – I'm not really willing to keep doing that. I'm not really, you know, trying to hire anyone new right now, X, Y, and Z. So the next day I just took all my stuff and I moved it into his office anyway and just started answering the phones before he showed up. And he walks in, he's like, what are you doing? I was like, man, I got ESPN online too. 
it's like anything else, it's a people business, right? And I think that's one thing that a lot of people don't understand is that um, it's not really about who you know in life, right? It's about who knows you. And I repeat this all the time. I feel like every time I have the chance to say it, I say it again, because that's a big part about putting yourself out there. And you want to be able to have that credibility and that trust. Like, I can tell you right now, like, hey, man, me and blank or best friends, you go ahead and call that person. They're going to say, who in the heck is that? But if it's the reverse and they can vouch for you, that's a whole different situation. It's the same thing, you know, even in this industry, um, if you have a guy that you're looking to get on a team, uh, your word goes a long way. And if you ruin that reputation early on, then it's hard for people to trust you and trust your opinion. So um, you always got to remember it's about who knows you, but also about that you only get one reputation. So, so don't ruin that. Uh, second, I, I honestly believe persistence. You got to be persistent because you're going to hear a heck of a lot more no's than you ever will yeses, especially in the recruiting game. Do you ever take a step back and really like enjoy and engage in sports and like, do you have like a, a memory that really sticks out? You said like, wow, I got to kind of take a step away from what I do and just really immerse myself in what sports really is about. You know what? It's, it's I'm glad you asked that because I don't often get to do that. I really don't. And you're just running constantly and you're, you're, you're here, you're there. And it happened to me, um, not this past year, the year prior Super Bowl. It was the, uh, the game down here in Miami. And I remember that week was crazy. And it's, and it's funny because Danny's been retired for a long time, Marino. But anytime anything's in Miami, it's not an event unless Dan Marino shows up. So that whole <laughs> week, we were literally slammed back to back from eight in the morning would be our first appearance. And we'd be out till 1230, one o'clock, just doing stuff nonstop. And then you get back by the time you get back to the hotel and everything else, or if we were driving back home, whatever it was you're just dead, man. You know, you're just dead. So the Super Bowl Sunday comes and I remember I woke up and I was like dreading going to the game where everyone else is all fired up to be going to the Super Bowl. I'm like, Oh man, here we go. I'm so tired at this point. I just want to like not get through it, but get through it. Right. Like, mm -hmm. you, and I didn't have any clients playing in the game. So I just, just kind of wanted to get through it. And we were doing stuff, stuff at the game and we had different appearances they also had um, – that was the year they did the 100 greatest players of all time. What does that look like between the travel, the calls, the right. meeting, all of that? And, you know, free time. Like, what – how do you balance all of it and the work-life balance that goes into, you know, having the schedule you have? The balance is tough, especially early on. The travel is tough to get used to at first, especially with the work-life balance. I know for the first few years of me doing this, I didn't have a balance. It was literally work, 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 and there really wasn't that – that life, right? There was absolutely no balance. Um, over time, you, it's just like anything else that you do. You start to find ways to be able to, to balance those situations. Like most people, their first year in law school, for example, law school is life. And then second year, third year, they're able to start doing more things. It's the same thing in, in this industry. Like you start to realize like what you were wasting time doing, what, what you're wasting resources doing. And then you just adjust accordingly and, and try to be better all around and evaluate it. Um, the typical schedule is different every single day, right? There, there is no quote unquote typical schedule. Uh, depending on the time of year, you might be on a plane who knows how many times a week. And I'll give you an example. Um, just recently, I guess, I was 
Um, and Jack, we talked about this off air when I said I was in Chicago, right? I was in, um, I flew out on a Thursday, I think it was, to Indianapolis, Indiana. I met a client there. And then the next day, shot over to Fort Wayne, Indiana. So that was a Friday. We did a youth football camp with one of our clients. Saturday, got on a flight to Chicago in the morning. Landed in Chicago. I was there Saturday night through Sunday. Sunday night, got on a flight to Pittsburgh. Met up with another client in Pittsburgh. Uh, that Here's where my balance came in. I saw my family for a day and a half. I was there for a couple of days, shot back to Florida. I had a wedding. And the next day after the wedding, I got on a flight to Los Angeles for a commercial shoot with another client. Today's guest is sports anchor at ESPN, Kevin Nagandi. Can you kind of talk about the prep time and what goes into building the 6 p.m. hour sports center? It's a, it's a great question. Sports center is a completely different hat from any of the other shows. Um, you know, like, for example, I'm on, on ABC on Saturdays doing college football. So I'm not thinking about the U.S. Open in tennis or the Ryder Cup coming up. Uh, in golf, um, in, on Sports Center, I've got to wear multiple hats, be completely in tune with that everything because, you know, and th- the strengths would be the NFL, the passions, you know, that I have baseball, college football, the NBA, college basketball. You know, I can already tell you those are going to be my strengths, but I've got to know enough about, hey, what's going on right now in tennis? What's going on right now in golf? I've got to keep up to date with all of these other sports in NASCAR and and the Olympics. And so you're always challenged in that light and the NHL, you're always challenged in that light where um, you're keeping up to date with stuff. That's it. Like just keeping up the date. Now the prep work is we have a noon meeting. Uh, the producers on the call with everybody on the show, coordinating producer, director, the, uh, you know, talent that's on the air, the segment producers. And we we're just talking about, Hey, what do we want to talk about today? What are the, the hot button topics and it's just a brainstorming for 30 minutes and then um, you come in by like two o'clock the producer has the entire rundown built Um, you start writing at three but you're also fully aware by five o'clock you're doing early tapings hey Schefter uh, can you do Schefter at 5 30 can you do Dan Olavsky at 5 15 Keyshawn's available at five o'clock we got Greg McElroy at 5.05. So you're, you're working that schedule every single day while still keeping up to date. And then you'll have breaking news potentially drop at 5.50. You know, we have this dinner, but right before the dinner, you have the chance to meet the president and the Secret Service is making sure, hey, no, no cameras. We have our professional camera. Put your phones away. You're going to go down. It takes two seconds. Introduce yourself to the president, the first lady, then move on. So you're, you're waiting and... You're trying to figure out, all right, how am I going to do this? Because there's no like formality. Um, there's no like book that says, hey, this is how you greet the president. So <laughs> eventually my turn comes. I stick out my hand. I say, Mr. President, uh, it's a pleasure meeting you. My name is, and he stops and he goes, whoa, 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 Kevin. We watch you every morning. And then he looks over to the first lady, Michelle, don't we watch Kevin every morning? And at this point, like I, I'm, my jaw is on the floor. And uh, the first lady goes, oh, gosh, yeah, we, we have always have you on, Kevin. I put a lot of pressure on myself to make sure that I built that trust with the audience. I wasn't given, like, the benefit of the doubt, like many of my peers are immediately, you know. So it takes time, and uh, it takes a lot of head down, outwork everybody, always be available, always be on a show, always be relatable. Um, 
and I'm pretty proud of the fact that, that, you know, that's no longer in question. And then, you know, after I was hired, I, I, I put a maybe undue amount of pressure to say, I've got to make this right and succeed because who knows if they're going to hire another Indian American or anybody that looks like me. Cause if I fail, I could fail for a lot of people that have the dream to do this, that look like me. I was pretty proud that after, you know, uh, I was hired within a couple of years, Anish Shroff was hired, um, Adnan Berg, Zubin Mahenti, Nabil Kareem, like people that look like me, you know, grew in the industry at ESPN because they were good. Um, Adam Amin, not because of skin color or, hey, we need somebody. It was because, no, we need somebody that's good. And all those guys have built amazing careers because they're, they're just great at their job and they outwork everybody. And that's the only thing we know. Today, we're joined by David Kaplan, who's a host on NBC Sports Chicago, and he's the co-host of ESPN 1000 radio show, Cap and Jay Hood. Where, where are you at with the Bears personally? And what are your thoughts on Justin Fields these first couple of games? Well, I like Justin Fields. I was thrilled the night they drafted him. I was on vacation uh, in Naples, and my wife oh, and I- Oh, that's where I'm from. Naples, Florida? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're sitting at Chop City Grill. Oh, of course, yeah. So we're sitting on the street, you know, those tables right up against the building. Yeah. And I have my iPad. My wife is a sports fan like me, and she knows this is what I do. So I set the iPad up against the building, and we've got our food right there. We're eating our appetizers, and my phone rings. And, I mean, I, I don't understand anyone who works in the media who turns their cell phone off. I silence it when I'm on the air, but it's sitting right there. When mm -hmm. I go to bed, it's not off. And I've got producers and friends in the business who are like, I don't want to be bothered. Then don't take a job in the effing media. I've had stories break where I get a phone call that Harry Carey's going to die. He collapsed. Can you please get to the station? You're damn right I can get to the station. That's what I do for a living. Or Luol Deng got traded at 1.30 in the morning. I can't get a hold of my producer because he turned his phone off and went to bed. I'm not saying if you're on vacation, you're not entitled to get away. But if you work in the media, you are on call. So I'm sitting in Naples. We're eating dinner. It's like with the second pick, New Jets take Zach Wilson. The third pick, Trey Lance. And my phone rings. And it's an agent friend of mine from when I was an NBA scout. And I look, I'm like, what's this dude calling me for? Hello, what's up? He said, you didn't get this from me. Your boys are trading for Justin Fields. I'm like, excuse me? He said, it depends if Denver or Carolina takes him. If he's still on the board after Carolina, the deal's done. The Giants are sending you their pick. You're getting him. I'm like, oh my God, I can't believe we're going to pull this off because I love Justin Fields. Nothing I've seen has dissuaded me from my thought that he's going to be a franchise quarterback. I feel like because Todd Ricketts was the campaign finance chairman for the president, there were a lot of people that became anti-Cub for that reason. I feel like the White Sox have stayed like Switzerland. They're, we're just going to build our team. We're going to keep getting better and keep getting better. And we're going to give you something that on the north side – I hope they rebuild it. I'm a Cubs fan. I hope they get better. I don't know when that's going to be. They pulled it off once with Theo. Are they going to pull it off again? 12, 13, 14, we were garbage. 2015, they won 97 games. Are you willing to bet 
every nickel you have saved in your life that in four years, they're going to be a 97-win team on the precipice of winning a World Series and going to the playoffs five out of six times? Who on that team are you willing to bet on? I love Wilson Contreras. Beyond Wilson Contreras and Kyle Hendricks, name me another guy on that roster you're convinced will be part of a World Series team. Frank Schwindel, I'm not betting on him. Nick Madrigal, maybe. Nico Horner, Patrick Wisdom, Ian Happ, Jason Hayward, Adbert Alzali. I hope he's a part of our team. Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson. I mean, that's how far away it is. So I feel like when you mix in all the off the field factors and the fact that the White Sox have locked a lot of their good young guys up, they're a friendly, likable team. The White Sox have a chance to steal some thunder here. We've talked a lot about your career, everything Chicago sports, but what's been the most rewarding experience you've had in your life so far working in this industry? Um, in the industry, going back to November 2nd, when the Cubs won it in 2016, I never thought I'd see it. And I remember saying to Theo, dude, I'm not getting any younger, man. He goes, want me to be honest? Yeah. You should drop 15 pounds, eat healthy, make sure you work out and we're working on it for you. And the day of game seven, I ran into Theo at Starbucks in the team hotel. Hey, Theo, what's up? He said, check your phone. I'm like, check my phone. He goes, I saw you from across the lobby. He walks away. I look on my phone. It says, hey, Cap, enjoy tonight. We've got this. That's six hours before game seven. So I'm like, and he saw me later. He goes, I was thinking of you, man. Enjoy it. So that's by far the coolest moment of my career. With Yeah. I, I don't think you could Absolutely. top that with anything else. I mean, that's, I don't know if, I mean, this is coming from a White Sox fan. I don't know if we'll ever see another Cubs World Series. I mean, seriously, we don't know what the precedent is for them to come back and do it again. So we don't know. Tomorrow's promise to know Cherish every day you have. I'm just that dude who's like the Energizer Bunny. Like right there. That's what time my phone is set every day. 3.46 a.m. What time do you go to bed? I mean, tonight I want to watch the Blackhawks game. It'll end like 9.30. I'll probably be in bed watching the last 12 minutes of the game. But um Last night was Monday Night Football. I stayed up and watched the end because I had a bet on the freaking Buffalo Bills and a pool I'm in. And I was in bed and my eyes are closing. And there are other nights I fall asleep and it's 8 o'clock. So that's my routine. I get up. I shower. I have coffee. I drive downtown with my coffee mug with me. I do the show. I come run a few errands. I come home. I've cut all my commercials for the next day. I work out. I have lunch with my son. I do my TV, my NBC Sports Cubs podcast, which I'm going to do as soon as I'm done with you guys. We're going to tape another one. And I have a home studio. I get all my work done, make dinner for my wife. Tomorrow's her birthday. We got one of our kids and my grandson here. And that's me. That's my life. I'm not a huge runaround guy. I just, I love what I do. I feel like I don't work a job. Like if you can get somebody to pay you enough that you can live the lifestyle you want. I don't care if that's being an Uber driver. If you feel like, man, what moves me is being an Uber driver. God bless you. Just be the best goddamn Uber driver in the world. 
Today, we're joined by Adam White, who is the CEO and co-founder of Front Office Sports. We don't need a 40 under 40 or a 30 under 30. No, we don't want rising 25. We don't need this. We have best employers. We, you know, we can do a sustainability award. That's amazing. That's great. Like, that's an awesome thing. But this all comes back to the fact that the brand is strong. We have great social channels. We have great content. We have exclusive content. We're breaking news. People take us seriously, right? Like, and like that, honestly, that's like some of the biggest, you know, new, news publishers to this day, like Forbes, Forbes' brand is strong. Their content might not be as good as it used to be or whatever it is, but like people want to win Forbes 30 under 30 mm-hmm. because of what Forbes stands for, yeah. right? Like, it's like, that's what it's all about. It's all about brand as crazy as it is. And so you have to be very ruthless about it. You have to be very like, I mean, our standards are incredibly high because it's like, we just can't let up. Like we can't become complacent in the fact that people every single day. And I always tell us people like Mark Cuban reads us 98% of the time, twice a day, every single day, he opens our newsletter twice a day, 98% of the time. I think he's missed one or two of them in the last four or five years. There's a reason for that. The content's good and he likes it, but also we have to remember like he's reading it. If content's bad or we fall off or we don't get better, he's going to fall off. Right. And like, that's, that's, that's someone that you don't want to lose. That's someone you want to keep reading and engaging and being interested in the product uh, because it's meaningful. It's just staying on top of everything, you know, I mean, and just being like, you know, relentless for the most part, right? Like you look back and you think, uh, I don't know, it's just like trade-offs. I was talking, I was on another podcast the other day and they're like, oh, what about sacrifices and stuff like that? I'm like, why is it sacrifice? It's just a trade-off. You guys are doing a podcast on Friday. At, I don't know. It's 530 there uh, in a college town where you probably could be out with your boys or your girls or whatever, like in the bars, hanging out. There's probably a football game tomorrow, right? Or whatever. Mm-hmm. But you're doing this because you know this moment in time or this time with in this in this podcast not just me but just in general is going to mean you're one step further along for whatever it is you want to do in the future right and that's what everything is it's just all trade-offs right like everyone's like oh like you know you didn't do all this stuff in in Miami and things like that and I'm like yeah and, and this isn't supposed to be a flex or anything like that but I'm like yeah but I was 19 and when I was 19 I went to Monaco and I was at the Laureus World Sports Awards and I was, you know, sitting across the, the, the table with Roger Federer's uh, next door neighbor. I met Roger Federer. I'm like there in like a black tie event in Monaco, France, like the like, but like, yeah. And so cool. I mean, yeah, or we went and had uh, we went and played poker at the casino where like Casino Royale was filmed with like that's Hope cool. Solo and Beyonce's backup dancers. Right. Like, yeah, I'm 19. Like, that's crazy. But like, that, again, like. Yeah, oh, sorry, I missed out on a couple, you know, keggers in college. <laughs> oh, whatever, you know what I mean? Again, it's just all trade-offs, right? We have this kind of internal saying. It's like, we don't set the bar, we raise it. Uh, and that's the truth with everything we do, even internally. Like, why we, we launch Rising 25. How do we make it even better next year? How do we make it even better the year after that? How do we continue to raise the bar? Because I think if you just set the bar and you just say, okay, this is what we're going to continue to do, well, then it becomes lackadaisical and, and boring and you're not really pushing the envelope and you're not taking risks and things like that. To where it's like, you know, again, we went out and said, okay, we know what all the subscription products are in this space. None of them are coming from a true business first approach. And let's go find someone who can do it. And the person that we hired to run Insights to start is a former Goldman Sachs banker. But like that provides us a perspective and an insight and an analysis that no one else has and allows us to really, again, provide something that honestly, sometimes you just have to you have to create something and almost force people into like doing like insights might be a little bit ahead of time, but like 
what's going to happen is people are going to see it and get part of it. And like, all of a sudden they're reading about leisure and this and that. Like, that's the other thing too, is like, you almost have to take the industry with you, right? It's like a, you know, Wayne Gretzky is always like, don't skate where the puck is, skate where the puck's going. It's the same thing, right? Like we have to be telling the industry where the industry is going, or we have to be telling people in and around the space where the business of sports is going or, you know, general sports and covering these spaces. It's like, it's here while everyone's here. Today we're joined by a former Iowa football player and now co-creator of Wash Up Walk-Ons, Tyler Kluver. Now I legitimately have had to start telling people over the past, you know, sort of really since we signed with iHeart, because that really took us to a whole new level. I'm like, they ask what I do. I'm like, well, I'm a a health and fitness trainer, personal fitness coach, because that's what I went to school for, exercise science. But I also own my own sports media brand. And and that is that is wild for me to say. And it doesn't feel normal or even right when I tell people that, but that's in its best description of basically what I do. Automatically after the first camp was ranked all the way up at like 11th in the country. And so I'm like, okay, well, that's cool. I never really saw the guys I was competing against as like, cause like who cares about you know, like how, how many people come back to their, to their high school and they're like, yeah, guess what I did over the summer. <laughs> sixth ranked long snapper in the country how about that huh you know well, like, I, I i gotta stop you real quick because i had a buddy that was just like that he did one of those camps he got timed and he was statistically the fastest long snapper in the state of illinois so he threw it in that bio and he let everyone know he was the fastest he was also the skinniest and the lightest but the fastest so hey, i mean hey you can hang on to what you want i wasn't going to be that guy right like i was still trying to be just the best linebacker I could be. And then the snapping thing was like a side gig. Like I, we've got a several fakes here where I'm snapping it to different people or different scenarios. And I remember when coach, uh, I remember when coach came into the room and he looked at me and he goes, you ready? You're scoring a touchdown. And I'm like, Hmm. Okay. How many reps did it take for you to be confident in order to carry out the pole cat? (laughs) We ran it a lot, man, and I scored touchdowns every time in practice. Um, <laughs> we probably ran that thing 30 times a day for the three or four weeks that we had it in before it was actually run. So I'm sure I ran it like over 100 times before we actually wow. did it on the on the game field versus Ohio State. I'm excited to see Caleb Shudak and Tori Taylor in a, in a dome, an inside environment. Um, you know, it's, it's a perfect like 72 or 73 degrees in there and there'll be no wind, no cold to, to worry about. So those guys should be laced up and, and ready to go. Iowa has struggled with their offensive line this season. Um, and though they have put out their two best performances, the last two games against Illinois and Nebraska, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a huge mismatch. Our offensive line versus their defensive line. If you, actually want to do something it, it it can be done but not the bullshit oh you can be anything you can do anything it is going to take an incredible amount of work but it's always worth it it's always worth it even if it ends up being something different than you thought it would be when you were a little kid the work and the process and the grind to get there is going to take you to a place that is so worth it and that's that's what i think about when that that being a Hawkeye is, is, is a huge example of me just living out um, sort of that philosophy.